the province used to set a response time standard, which was 26 minutes and 59 seconds. That's to get to 80% of your calls. I forget what the percentages are now, but you had to get uh, most of your calls in, in that time. We never were able to achieve that. Very few people, very big area, uh, 45 minutes to get to Canisius Lake, the far end. There's nothing we could do about that. It's always easy to cut the check for the arena. With reports of ER closures and struggles to recruit new physicians, it's time we start taking healthcare a little bit more seriously. What is our municipality doing about it and what can they do about it? This is What Are We Doing? A Highlander podcast. And this week's episode is all about healthcare. A lot of people are confused about what municipal government has to do with healthcare. It's a pretty good question because really healthcare is mostly a provincial jurisdictional thing. But looking into it, actually municipalities do have a little bit to do with healthcare. I sat down and had a chat with three different people on this one. So I actually talked to Pat Kennedy, uh, who's a Dysert uh, deputy mayor, as everybody knows. He used to be the uh, EMS chief here in Halliburton County. So he really knows a ton of stuff about ambulances. And just so happens that his wife, Cheryl Kennedy, used to be the physician recruitment and retention coordinator. So she's got a lot of knowledge when it comes to getting uh, medical professionals here. So a lot of people think that municipalities have a lot of control over health care, but it's not that easy. So tell me what municipalities actually have a say over when it comes to health care. Um, at the county, municipal level, lower tier, really very, very little. Um, the county level is where most of the action happens and it's the budgets are set. Um, province contributes supposedly 50% one year behind, which makes expansion of services or changing services expensive that first year. For example, if you want to put another car on, it's about a half a million dollars. So if you want to do it, um, the province, or the county would have to eat that the first year. And then the second year, the province will step up and fund half. So any kind of expansion has to be well planned out and well thought thought out but uh, other than that uh, starting to look at what programs we could offer community paramedicine has been huge same time we're going to have to look at our other, other county transfers uh, it hasn't changed it's got worse and that's if we could keep our ambulances in the county we could re- improve our response times to our citizens it used to be x-rays now it's cat scan everybody gets one but for us to drive down to peterborough and spend time at cat scan then stay out in the ambulance while you wait for results and not get caught than getting a call in Peterborough when your patient's offloaded. Um, the huge, huge uh, improvement to what we can be doing here. That's where the county, I think, could really get behind pushing hard the province and our Lynn and anybody else who sit down and listen to us to, to move that initiative forward. And actually, you know, right at the top of this interview, Pat mentioned a CAT scan. Mm. Well, when I take them on a tour of the hospital and there's no CAT scan, oh, if we had money available uh, for the physicians, they would want housing and recreation and, you know, more diagnostic tools. What do you think about the structure we have now with our two hospitals, both who are struggling to find staff? Where do you see the future of that going? You know, to have an ER, you know, in, in both places. Um, maybe make one or the other a long-term care, yes. Yes, and just have... The, the problem is the staffing, of course, and obviously it's a lot worse than it was 10 years ago. Yes, there needs to be an amalgamation. There's no question about that. You know, we all have the doctor who's 80 years old and, you know, he finally retires and, and now this guy's falling, but tell me about your experience. 
what the problem is, is recruiting right now is the new grads. What they want to do is locum and they will probably locum for three or four years. And that is because they can make more money. They can have their accommodations paid for, their travel paid for. So there you are. We've got all these new grads coming out, but they're not ready to settle down in any area. Also, when they're done locoming and want to settle down and come here, um, what they want, they're ready now to start their families. So what they want, they want good schools. They want good recreation. And actually, sometimes there's not enough here for them. A lot of them actually do want a pool. Um, they they uh, want the big arenas. They want the soccer fields. The housing has been a problem, and not just this last couple of years. It's been an ongoing problem, housing has been. And they want a work-life balance, the new grads. So they do not want to work um, like Dr. Hayes and Dr. Hartwick used to, you know, 60 hours a week and do a merge and do the office and be there five days a week. Um, So therefore, you need more bodies to run a family health team. We've had about a 14% increase in our population, as we know. Not coincidentally, call rates are up about 15%, according to Tim Wade, who's the head of EMS. Obviously, we're going to have to kind of expand and put more money into land ambulances. There's no way to avoid it. We also have that aging demographic, right? Yeah. So we're old. You know, we average (laughs) 55 or something like that and and plus. So clearly, they're getting a lot more calls for uh, more acute things. Yeah. Cardiac arrest, strokes, and stuff like that. On top of all the other, you know, nonsense that happens. (laughs) Summer injuries and and whatnot. So the demand is really going up. And Tory Hill received an ambulance base, I think, last year, which allows them to do 24-7 staffing. And now um, people are recognizing that it's the Northwest that has the challenge, and Pat talks about this yeah. in the interview. So kind of heading up 35 uh, towards, you know, Dorset, all of this area here. So Pat's pretty clear. He thinks you know, that's that's the place they've got to kind of spend their money going forward. So The Frost Center is what yeah, you're about. Yeah, so Council yeah. of the Future is going to have to say, yes, we, we're going to have to pay for 24-7 ambulance staffing. And The other interesting thing that he talks about is how, how much the county transfers affect the service in the area, which I had no idea about. Yeah, um, I didn't really either. Um, but what's happening is uh, we are transferring patients for diagnostic um, services. And for the most part, that is CAT scans. And the only place you can get a like a CAT scan within reasonable amount of space here is either Lindsay, Lindsay or yeah. Peterborough. If, for example, there's an ambulance, uh, there's, a, there's a 911 call and no other ambulance is available, even though... They're a Halliburton ambulance. They have to respond. Yeah. So sometimes they're having to respond to uh, emergencies in, in Lindsay, in Lindsay yep. or Peterborough yep. or on the road coming here. Yeah. So that means they're not available to us here. And, uh, and that's, a real, that's a real concern. You basically need to make a, a pitch to the province to say, you know, this area needs a CAT scan. Some of these statistics, I think, would lend themselves to, yeah, this might be a good solution for these ambulances that are out of our area taking people to CAT scans. When we're going out there and we're trying to get doctors, and we're trying to get them to come here, and they're taking them on a tour of the hospital, and one of the first questions they'll ask is, what kind of diagnostic tools do you have? And where's your CAT scan? 
And inevitably they say, oh, yeah, I'm sorry we don't have one. Cheryl kind of made the comparison too. She said, you know, today's CAT scan is like yesterday's blood pressure machine. Yeah. You know, they used to use the blood pressure monitor and that gave them a really good diagnostic tool. Well, mm -hmm. today, that's kind of what it's like. Yeah. So we're losing doctors and we're losing... Simply because they don't have the ability to run those Because tests. they don't have the ability to, to be able to run tests with a CAT scan. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just another really good reason why this is something the community could perceivably get behind. And I also talked to Cindy Snyder, who does the same sort of work in the city of Kawartha Lake. She's been doing that for a long time. Just to get a handle on their thoughts on um, what's being done now going forward. It seems to me that you guys certainly have had some, some success. Um, and I know there's been challenges with tons of retirements. So tell me a little bit about uh, how you've been able to, to you know, get, get people uh, in the door there. Mm -hmm. Well, like everywhere, as you've said, we've had challenges, especially in the last few years. And I was really, even before COVID, I, I don't blame everything on COVID. It was, we were starting to struggle even more just the year or two before that. Um, before that, we had been two to three physicians coming in each year. Retirements in this last couple of years have been very difficult. Uh, I've had, unfortunately, we've had physicians retire without replacements, which has increased our numbers now, of course, here again, that are looking for family doctor. Some of the issues with retirements is those that are now retiring have quite large practices and those that are uh, especially newer grads of uh, family medicine residencies aren't looking for practices those that size. Usually if they're here, they're already somewhat interested in a rural practice or or practicing rural. We hold a couple of events a year for medical learners, the different universities. Sometimes it's just me presenting to them about uh, they have different like a rural medicine interest group or a family medicine interest group. I'll present to them, uh, encouraging them to do rural electives, come out and try our rural areas, even if they're thinking of a specialty. We need specialists in the rural and remote areas, too. So uh, it, it's things like that. And it's keeping in touch, whether it's through a newsletter, um, events that we might host for residents and have them come to the area. The big piece is getting them to the area. You know, I think some of our listeners might be wondering, um, you know, what are strictly municipal issues? What are political issues? And healthcare is one of those ones that kind of falls in the middle. It uh, receives uh, an inordinate amount of provincial funding, as we know, but there's also a role for municipalities. So can you comment a little bit on what the municipalities' roles are in um, in the area of sort of health and health services? My understanding, and I will put it that way because I'm not completely up on municipal laws and and, uh, and that. Healthcare really is a provincial issue. I do mm -hmm. believe they're responsible for ambulances now, uh, the paramedic program, um, and they're responsible may be responsible. I know certainly in the city of Court Lakes, we have one long-term care home that is um, owned and, and operated by the municipality, which is Victoria Manor. And the municipality supports a couple of VON uh, nurse practitioner clinics in, in uh, the city of Court Lakes. I'm not saying they completely fund them, but I know they support them. The same as ourselves. We, as I said, we, we may be a nonprofit charitable organization, but our funding is split about 60, well, it's probably 55, 45% between the municipality and the, and the Ross Memorial Hospital. They are our main funders and we do fundraise or receive sponsorships from, from local businesses. A municipality is not able to incentivize a, a person on their own, but they are able to provide us with those funds to do that, um, which makes a difference to us too. 
with what, what municipalities are kind of allowed to do in a perfect world, what would, what would the, what would a great municipality do to support health in its area in your opinion? And I know that's a little bit off the beaten track, that question, but I'm curious to get your thoughts. We have a good working relationship with our with our council. Actually, we have we've always had at least one counselor on our board and that to to bring us information. And there's always a representative from the hospital on our board. And it also lets them stay more up to date on what we do, what we're doing and what our our plans are and uh, and that. So it's having that really good communication. Yes, financial support support in any way they can, uh, whether it is being able to help with provide some housing. So yes, anything they can do in that respect in regards to housing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's all of it. As I say, a lot of it is just financial support. Yes. But also just knowing that your council and community are behind you, not just council community are behind you. And I'm sure when there are learners, cause I know, there are learners who go into Halliburton. If they're anything like the ones here, they tell me after they, they, they can be in a, a family physician's clinic and the patients are trying to recruit them. Yeah. Even though they have a doctor, they know the issues and they're like, are you going to stay? Can you stay? What are you going to do? Like, uh, yes, very much so. I, I just want to reiterate that everyone knows this is a national problem for rural and remote communities. It's not just ourselves and, and Halliburton. It's not just Ontario. It is across the country. When I, when I see articles in the paper about the ER being closed for certain hours and having a hard time keeping staff and X, Y, and Z, what are the actual things that the municipality has a direct say in those? Does the municipality have a direct say in that? Or is that mainly provincial? Like what are the powers of the municipality when it comes to healthcare? Well, I think let's start with communication because one of the interesting things is when the uh, triple H S first talked about, we might need to close um, an emergency room or emergency department for some period of time for, you know, days or hours at a time. And, but we would let the community know within a 48-hour window or 72-hour window. Well, you know, I talked to Liz Danielson, the county warden, and, and she said that caught her by surprise because nobody had really told her that things were sort of at that, that critical level, stage. Yeah. So I think one of the first things that has to happen is the municipality and uh, the health service has to do a better job of communicating. That, I think, has become abundantly clear. I mean, there's nothing necessarily that the municipality can do... Uh, Short-term, so it's not a short-term fix, right? But, I mean, long-term, you know, they've got to support this person who's trying to get us doctors and nurses. And one thing you could do is, why are they part-time, for example? So they're leasing one house on a short-term basis. Well, what would happen if they actually had more housing stock available? So that when prospective doctors come to town, they can say, well, you know, once you land on your feet... This is somewhere you can stay for three months or six months or a year until you find a place of your own. Mm -hmm. Build some housing. Do you have a vacant chunk of land where you could actually build, um, I don't know, six townhouses or something? Yeah. Somewhat near the hospital. Work on lobbying the province and work on fundraising and put up a chunk of money yourselves as a county to get that diagnostic tool. So those are things that, again, it's not going to solve necessarily the crisis that's here right now. But putting some of those measures in place uh, is, is going to help. 
I don't know what I was expecting for physician recruitment, but she talks about taking them out to dinner and driving them around the Korthas and, and kind of just showing them. She said, I think at some point, the biggest barrier is just teaching people geographically where they are. Um, and how for them in specific, it's a lot easier to recruit doctors when they realize it's only an hour from the city. Uh, and how that was kind of her biggest challenge is overcoming this hurdle of this is where we are and there are things to do. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what I was expecting from that position, but I was listening to it and I was like, this feels like a university, like student group trying to just go out and show everyone that you can have a good time in, in cottage country, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, I'm. I understand how billboards in Halliburton County are meant to kind of entice people who cottage up here already. But at the same time, I can't help but thinking, if you're not coming to the area already, how on earth is that helping? Yeah, well, it's not all they do, too. I don't know. Cindy didn't probably elaborate on on everything they do and or what Wendy's doing. Um but a lot of it is also going to the universities themselves, yeah. right? And bringing your, your little dog and pony show, yep. Yep. <laughs> if you will, to try to entice them. Um, and sometimes that's as simple as having a, a recruitment booth and, mm-hmm. and come talk to us about why you should come here and maybe think about coming up for a locum to give it a, you know, give it a crack. What is locum? And, she kept saying locum and I'm like, I don't know uh, what this means. They're the kind of people who come in and fill in. So, you know, Dr. So-and-so is going on holidays for four weeks. Would you please come up and, and fill in? And gotcha. So that's like a locum. The thinking on the billboard is you're already up here. Yeah. You're on vacation. Yeah. You're doing stuff. You're a doctor. You don't think in your wildest dreams, well, I could practice medicine up there, but you, maybe you'll see that billboard and you'll think, huh. Work from the cottage sounds pretty good. Maybe I could, yeah. you know, practice up here. So that's all that's about is yeah. trying to catch their eye when they're here yeah. or perhaps a family member. A lot of the time, it wasn't necessarily the physician that she struggled to recruit. It was the physician's partner. And how, because of the pandemic, that seems to be coming easier. Um, But I think it's still a challenge in Halliburton, specifically when we don't have a distinguishable industry. I think she talks about that a little bit, how there's not one distinct industry that someone could work in and how that that can be kind of daunting to new people moving to the area. Well, and I, you know, the the big elephant in the room is the high-speed internet, right? You know, people are used to... (laughs) having really good internet in the city or wherever their partner may be practicing medicine or doing a residency and so coming up here a lot of these people may be entrepreneurs they may be professionals they may be lawyers they may be whatever so for example a lawyer if you're a doctor and i'm a lawyer well i can come up and practice as a lawyer here um but it's limited Mm -hmm. right I'm a specialist. You're a general practitioner. I'm probably not going to be removing gallbladders at Halliburton Hospital. So sometimes that is a little bit of a challenge. And, and while the doctor, he or she may be interested, the partner might put the kibosh on it just because, well, what am I going to do? You and I, Justin, we love the outdoors. So for you and I, we're quite happy if, um, you know, it, we're, on a, we're in a kayak or we're on a bicycle or we're on a trail and we see a few friends and we socialize and we go to the brewery or whatever. That's great. But... You know, we also know that that has its limitations. There's there are times you need to escape to the city because you need sushi or you need... Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I stop you know? in Aurelia every time I go just to pick up sushi. Because you need something, right? Yeah. And so for people coming from the city, um, unless they are really outdoor enthusiasts, it can be a little harder. Yes, we have a lot to offer. And I'm not... You know, we do have a lot to offer, but well, we don't have city offerings. We have a lot to offer in the summer. Well, there's that too. Winter's ramping up, and I will say there's more happening in the winter, and I am delighted by that, but it's still 
crickets compared to what's going on in the summer. Yeah, yeah. You've got to adjust your um, your expectations. <laughs> and not everybody's willing to do that. Yeah. And of course, the housing thing. Again, we seem to always come, come back, back to, to I housing. Think almost every single issue is going to come back to this, yeah. is my forecast. Even just being asked, oh, is there a swimming pool? And I know I hate myself for saying it because I feel like it flirts everybody flirts with the idea and there's nothing happening on it but even how a center like that can kind of attract a wildly different array of people here i find amazing yeah and i think if you're young, well both ends of the spectrum older people are saying we really want this for rehab and and, yep. and and keeping fit and moving particularly in the winter and then some of these doctors you know they have young families and so what am I going to do with my kids? I mean, we do have stuff. We have dance studios. We have hockey. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it seems like a little minuscule thing, but it's big. It has profound impact. It can have profound yeah. impacts, yeah, for people trying to come to the area. It seems like the expectations from the hospital are so, so extreme in the Highlands, where at some point Cheryl's talking about how not everyone's a norm bottom and wants to work all week in the family medical center and then do emerge all night and how the work-life balance has become really a main issue for new recruits. Uh, and I, and I scratch my head thinking, no duh. Yeah. Like you need a two for one for people like Nell and you know, Norm. Yeah. I get the impression talking to Cindy that people don't necessarily want to be GPs anymore either. They want to be a little bit more specialized. So that whole gamut of services, and here I can only imagine what the doctors see here in terms of everything from pediatric care to geriatric care yeah, and everything in between. Yeah. So you have to just have such a, a broad knowledge base yeah. as well when you're dealing with that clientele. Yeah. And, you know. and before we end it, I also want to talk to you about another model that's working really well. They call it the hub. So the Dorset Healthcare Hub, sorry, that's the terminology for it. And they've got kind of an interesting model. And I think, you know, Algonquin Highlands chips in a bit of money every year. It might be 10 grand. Don't quote me on that. But something like that. Lake of Bays kicks in some money. So that's kind of the Muskoka area. Um, they do a lot of community fundraising. And so it's at like a nurse practitioner-led clinic. And they've got like a nurse practitioner and a registered nurse practitioner in there. And then they've got somebody at the front desk. And they've got another nurse who kind of does more of the COVID shots or the flu shots or whatever. So they've got a little hub in there that that works. Um, It's a really nice model. And I think that um, other small towns could actually look into doing this type of thing. And I'm thinking more maybe your Wilberforce's. But when we're having such a hard time getting uh, doctors up here, I think attracting more nurse practitioners, RPNs or or RNs, um, is not a bad idea. And that's something I think that could be explored. Um, And in some of our outlying areas, so it's working in Dorset, but something like that might be really good in Wilberforce or Harcourt or um, some of our smaller towns. Um, And I think that's definitely something that should be looked into. It seems like a really good model. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're still having challenges too because they're having a hard time getting, you know, RPNs and RNs and whatever. But it might be a, a good alternative moving forward to sort of look at that model and what's being done there. And alleviating some of the pressures from the hospital yeah. while still addressing some of the minor medical concerns. For sure. Yeah. Anything else you can think of for healthcare? No, I think we're good. So, what are we doing about healthcare? 
Right now, efforts seem to be focused more on physician recruitment and retention than anything else. But to help this cause, we really need to start looking at purchasing better diagnostic tools like CAT scans, which can help entice new physicians and reduce the amount of time that our ambulances are out of town. We could also explore options like a community hub, which is happening right in our backyard in Dorset, where RNs are able to address some of the minor concerns before they even need to get into a hospital or doctor's office. And perhaps one of the most profound impacts that we can have is creating housing, which will help alleviate so many issues in the county. This is What Are We Doing? A podcast in partnership with The Highlander, Halberton County's independent newspaper. Our music is by local artist Mackenzie Robinson, who goes by Kashaga, and our artwork is by Jason Yates, also a local artist. Be sure to check out the links in the description and support these wonderful human beings. Joining us in this episode are Pat and Cheryl Kennedy, along with Cindy Snyder. Research was compiled by Lisa Gervais. Do you have questions or any concerns that you want to voice on this podcast? You can send us an email at whatarewedoinghighlands at gmail.com or check the link in the description for our voice note submission where you can actually record and join us on air. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for our next episode, which is going to be about shoreline preservation.